What's so important about that bag, anyway? The bag has the USB key and the password to open the flow from the refinery. How much oil? Millions of barrels. Hey, who cares? To get that much oil out of the refinery, they need like 500 trucks and then they gotta drive to the coast. There is an underground network that flows across the country. That's what those pipes are for? If they use the pipes to fill the tankers and each tanker holds 100 million in oil, that would make it the biggest oil heist in history. <laughs> yes. That is a direct quote, although I embellished that last line just a little bit. Uh, and I know I got you scratching your head on this one, uh, so I'm going to come back to it in just a moment. Uh, however, however, I got to share something first. And I'll be honest, this really doesn't have anything to do with today's episode. But I, I just, just as I was collecting my thoughts uh, for, uh, for recording today's exciting feature, I... Um, you know, sometimes I just take a quick glance at the headlines before I start, just to see if there's anything interesting. You know, I like to, I like to have that uh, at least the appearance of spontaneity sometimes. And so, um, I took a la- I took <laughs> took a lance. <laughs> I don't even have a lance, but I did take a glance, um, and and I caught this headline on. Uh, it's on oil price. I'm I'm seeing it on oil price, although I, I suspect maybe. You could read about this elsewhere, but I, I like the folks over at Oil Price. I think I think they do a good job. Anyway, um, here's the headline, and this is this is what caught my attention: Oil protesters. Uh, that's people. Those are protesters who are protesting oil, not protesters who are made of oil. Oil protesters drape the home of British PM in black fabric. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yes, that was my nose bump in the microphone. Um, oil protesters drape home of British PM in black fabric. So sometimes I just wonder, like I, I don't, I don't begrudge anybody who's got a cause and they're willing to go out there and you know try to fight for their cause. But I sometimes wonder what is it exactly that people hope to accomplish with some of these stunts. Like I don't. Um, like, do they think that the rest of us are out here, or at least some of us are out here going, oh my goodness, they draped his home in black fabric. We've got to, we've got to do something. <laughs> I mean, we got to do something about this oil business because we can't just have people's homes being draped in black fabric. Now, um, uh, yeah, they got, oh, so these were Greenpeace protesters and they got arrested because um, you can't, you just can't go up to the British prime minister's house and do shit to it. Um, but I don't think they cared about that now, but this is the more interesting part. It is well, at least, I don't know, the black fabric is kind of fascinating, I think, but, um, but here's the, at least for the, for the sake of industry discussion, this is the part that's more pertinent, which is. Uh, the protests stood, the protests, the protesters, um, even oil price needs a little editing once in a while. The protesters stood atop of the home, the home they got up on top of his house. Okay, that might be why they got, I guess they had to get up there if they were going to drape it in fabric. You can't just, you can't just sit on the, stand on the ground and throw fabric in the air and it lands on the, so, so they stood on top of the guy's house and they had a banner and the banner read, Rishi Sunak, that's the, for those of you who haven't been following British politics, that's the prime minister's name these days. And, but here's the statement, oil profits or our future, question mark. So, uh, 
If I deconstruct that statement, oil profits or our future, not for our future, but or our future, if I deconstruct that, then um, what they're saying is, if you keep, and by the way, this is, this is following, you know, what, so what's, what, what I guess the catalyst for this most recent stunt was uh, he signed off on some new leases um, because, you know, uh, as we've talked about on previous episodes, maybe, oh, it says right here, um, they're trying to take a proportionate, appro- proportionate, approach, a proportionate approach to climate change. Uh, the government is as it seeks to juggle energy security, the cost of energy to consumers and environmental concerns, all as part of the grand net zero plan. Now we've talked about this just recently. I think maybe it was last episode. Yeah. Like some, some companies and countries are going, oh, energy security. We kind of have to watch out for that. And we don't really have anything to fill the gap. So we need to do some more oil and gas, uh, exploration and production. And, and so, but it's, but in the minds of these protesters, now I always try to irrespective of whatever ridiculous thing um, people, whatever display of, you know, whatever action they take or whatever, I always try to understand what's in people's heads. Uh, in fact, if you listen to, or if you watch Saving the Dream, the other show that I do, that's got nothing to do with oil and gas, but you know that I, I always try to put myself in the mind of other people and kind of understand where they're coming from. That's just kind of a life habit for me. Um, and, uh, um, so I, but in this case, it, what they're saying. So if I understand, they're they're saying that in their interpretation of what's happening, um, the only reason, the only reason that we could possibly have to continue or to to to, to start up new oil and gas, you know, hydrocarbon production, the only possible reason is for profits. There's no other reason to do it, and therefore. Their beloved prime minister is selling them out. He's selling out their future uh, because the oil companies have them in his pocket and they want profit. So um, if any of you are listening to this and you go, yeah, that's right, then you probably haven't listened to any other episodes or anything else on OGGN for that matter because the Oil and Gas Global Network, OG, yeah, I, we're trying to just make it OGGN these days, just because it's just it's just cleaner and simpler, and um, and it also sounds more like a network. But um, there's, you know, we got 15 shows on OGGN, all talking about the industry, and so and they're not all they're not all uh, <laughs> they're not they're not all blatant industry advocates like I am. We got one that talks about energy transition and we got another one on ESG. And, you know, so we try to, we try to represent the full range of, of, of thinking. So if you've listened to any of that or anybody else in the industry, who's got three quarters of a brain, you know, that the reason that there's lots and lots of reasons right now at this particular point in history to continue new oil and gas production. And maybe not lots and lots. There's like, I shouldn't say there's lots and lots of reasons. There are a few really good, really big reasons to do it. And energy security is one of them. Um, because it's not just a matter of uh, shutting this off and turning that on over there. And But I guess, and this is nothing new. I, I know I, I know you're thinking right now is, you know, well, no shit, Sherlock. We've, you've said this like 50 times in the last month. But it, it just always takes me back a little bit when I realize, oh, but this is really what, like, this is really what some people think. What some people really think, I guess, I mean, you know, 
Um, it could be rhetoric, but um, it could be rhetoric, but it's not a lot of rhetoric. It's a very simple statement. Oil profits are our future. So is that true? Is that, is, are there people out there that just really truly believe that there's no other possible reason for spinning up a new oil and gas project in the North Sea or, you know, in the Gulf or anywhere else? There's no reason why you would do it except to make money. Um, now, now, granted, people are going to make money. There's no question. People are going to make money. But, but anyway, so I guess, I've, I guess the horse is dead. Um, however, if, uh, if you have a point of view, if you're listening to this because, because your podcast player is broken and, and, um, and nothing else will play, <laughs> and you're thinking, how do I make this guy shut up? I, I would love to hear. Like, what is, like, is, 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 is that really a point of view that says the only possible reason to do this is for profits? Because if that's what you think, I think that you need to understand some more things. And I'm not necessarily going to preach to anybody, but uh, I think, I think there's a, I think you may not quite understand what's going on. All right, uh, feel free to send me an email, michael at OGGN.com, and say, I think you're full of crap, and here's why. All right, now, back to, how much time did I kill with that? Oh, nine minutes, not too bad. Um, all right, back to the biggest oil heist in history, uh, which is from a movie uh, that I just watched last night. We watched this movie, um, and I, I don't recommend it at all. Um, unless, and, and some of you may have already seen this movie cause it just came out. It's on Netflix. Um, and, uh, it, it, it's, and it was, it was shot in 2018 and they finally found distribution for it here five years later. So that kind of tells you a little bit, a little something about it, but, uh, it did make a bit of a, it did make a bit of a splash, uh, because it's got Jackie Chan and John, Sena, Sena, Saint. How do you say his name? I don't know. Don't keep up with the with the new people. John, the guy that used to be the wrestler, uh, the 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 professional wrestler. So John, the, John the wrestler guy. Um, so if you're a if you're a like a die died in the wool Jackie Chan fan, or you really like John the wrestler, I don't know. You might you might want to watch it. But there was a uh, an oil industry. Yeah, angle to this story in this film, which kind of had me scratching my head a little bit. And I don't know, maybe, uh, you know, I'm always, I'm always open to, uh, I mean, my first thought was somebody didn't do their homework very well on, on this, on this, uh, story, but, uh, I'm always open to learning new things. So maybe, maybe one of you, um, can explain this to me, but, uh, but, but so the, the, the basic premise of the story is they're, they're having to, they're you know, Jackie Chan and his, uh, team of badasses uh, are are uh, they they arrive to evacuate this refinery which appears to be in Baghdad uh, so I guess it, it, I don't know if they say that it's in, in Baghdad but it appears to be and uh, so that would make it I would guess like the Dor the Dora refinery isn't that the one in Baghdad that's been there for like 50 60 years whatever the Aldora refinery the one that's right on the Tigris River now um and and they have to they have to evacuate the refinery because the bad guys are attacking because uh, they want to steal oil um, now uh, and that's that whole bit that I did at the beginning now um, so the first thing well there's a few things about this that kind of made me scratch my head like the first one was uh, Jackie Chan arrives and he asks the woman who's running the refinery how many people do we have to evacuate and she says four hundred and something whatever it was and she then she says including children. <laughs> I thought, I, 
I don't think they keep, they don't really keep children at refineries. I don't think, I mean, I, I, maybe in other parts of the world, but I got to believe there's not a lot, there's not a lot of kids running around at the refinery. But anyway, that was, there was, and, and you saw them, you saw this whole line of kids going out and getting on the bus. Um, so that was a little odd. And, uh, the refinery was extremely high. It kind of looked like, you know, like these refinery of the future projects. So I don't know, maybe, maybe the refinery door has been retrofitted with like floor to ceiling, like 8k, uh, display screens showing the entire, um, you know, like, like 3d visualization of the entire schematic of the, of the refinery. I don't know that might be there, but I'll tell you what, if you want to shut it down, all you need is this one particular USB key you can stick that in there and everything goes to hell. Now, there were a couple of other things that struck me as those first couple of things I think are just, you know, they're, they're details that maybe, maybe don't matter, but, but now this, now we get to the real crux of the story. And the first thing is, um, uh, well, you know, so my first thought when I heard, when I heard the character say, these guys can make off with a hundred million or whatever it was in oil. Well, the first thing I was, I, first I called bullshit because I thought there's no way that guy just did that math in his head. Like, and I, and I did a little homework here because I thought I said like, Oh, a tanker is a hundred million dollars. Is that true? Well, it turns out that actually is true, but I still don't think he, I, I don't think that this mercenary in the desert, John, uh, John, the wrestler knew off the top of his head, what the valuation of a, uh, of a tanker, of oil would be, I'm talking about uh, the boat, the boat tankers, right now, and also it, de- it depends. And now I didn't realize this, so I did a little, I did a little looking up, and um, they come in a lot of sizes. I mean, I, I, I didn't think they were all the same size, but they come in really like a wide variety of sizes, and depending on, um, you know, what kind of product specifically they are carrying. Well, it, it says here according to. Uh, the EIA.gov website, uh, where they have some nice pictures of small, medium, large, extra large, etc. And the smallest tankers uh, are for refined products, and then uh, and then the middle sized ones could be refined or crude oil, and the largest ones are crude oil. I'm not sure why that is. I'm sure there's a reason. I'm not going to look it up right now. But uh, but the largest. Getting back to our friend in the desert, John the wrestler, who was able to quickly calculate in his head that, uh, one tanker, uh, it would be a hundred million dollars. Uh, interestingly, somebody, when they were making the film, somebody must've Googled this page because, uh, this, let's see, this page was written in 2014 when, uh, on the, on the EIA website, when, um, uh, WTI prices were around $92 a barrel. And it says right here that if you were using, the VLCC tanker, which stands for, uh, anyone want to wager a guess what VLCC stands for? Very large crude carrier. Now, the only thing bigger than a very large crude carrier is, you guessed it, the ultra large crude carrier, which is ULCC. Now, but you didn't have to, they wouldn't have needed, in this particular heist, they would not have needed the ULCC because the VLCC can carry a couple of million barrels of oil. Um, And uh, so if you do the math, it says right here, with current WTI prices near $92 a barrel, a fully loaded VLCC could carry $100 million worth of crude oil. So uh, John the Wrestler was was right if if they had that size carrier. I, I mean, the film was shot in 2018. So I don't know, crude was what about 80 bucks. So it's in the range. He could have, he could have been right. Um, but my question is, the first thing I thought of was, well, just why, why are we going to risk everybody's life 
just let them have the oil. <laughs> like it's not, you know, because the whole rest of the film is people like risking their lives and the lives of other people and making hard decisions about who's going to live or die. So that, to try to prevent these guys from making off with all this oil, which granted it's a lot, but I don't think it's enough to like alter world markets. And, um, and, and, you know, so it's not like, so like some movies, people have to make life or death decisions because, you know, because the asteroid is going to hit the world and destroy it otherwise, or because like the aliens are going to like kill everybody on the planet or, or something really bad is going to happen. That's going to affect, you know, affect uh, a lot of people. And, and so somebody's got to, and so people risk their lives, but in this case, they're just going to make off. So I don't like, I didn't like what, Why? Why are people dying? Because to stop these guys from making off with a shit ton of oil. Now, um, so that that was one thing. But the but now here we get to the real the real thing that I want to know. Now, by the way, if some of you have a different view on that, it doesn't matter. It's just a movie, but it's an interesting conversation. Now, the next thing is um, if you were gonna steal oil, like a lot of oil lot of oil would you go to a refinery is that like where would that be the easiest because i don't think they really i mean i know they they store some amount of crude at a refinery but not a lot right i mean i'm not you know um i haven't i'm not a i'm not a refinery person right they don't really give tours these days uh so but those of you who who work in refineries or around you don't really don't you pretty much i mean it comes in on on pipelines or like this like the the feedstock comes in on pipelines or trucks or boats or whatever and then you um and then you don't you pretty much process it like as it comes in because you don't want like huge amounts of inventory just sitting there because that would be money so i don't i don't see how going like a refinery is the best place to steal a bunch of oil from i mean why not go to the transportation systems or the storage systems um you know like why not go to an actual pipeline tap into it and you know, and reroute, you know, reroute the flow into something else. And so I, I, you know, the whole refinery thing really threw me, but I'm always, as I've said before, I'm always open to learning new things. And, um, uh, so if, if some of you, uh, so if some of you are out there and you go, Oh no, 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 a, a refinery would be a perfect place to steal a boatload literally of oil because, uh, because of X, Y, Z, then let me know. Let me know. Um, but this whole thing did get me, th- it got me thinking, got me thinking about pipelines. Um, and um, because, you know, the whole, what we sometimes, uh, or I guess what we always call a midstream part of the business, sometimes when we're talking about all the cool stuff and the smart people and all the interesting things that have been done, um, sometimes, uh, you know, the midstream guys, get a little bit, um, I I mean, well, I think that upstream oftentimes gets, gets most of the, most of the spotlight. Um, and then, uh, and then, you know, some of the, like we've done a, I think we've done an episode on refining and and stuff, but, but, you know, and and now there's a lot of new, there's a lot of new focus on, uh, on refineries and, and chemical plants and things like that when it comes to the digital transformation business. And so it's making its way over there, but, um, and it's even making its way into supply chain miraculously. But uh, you know, when we tell the stories of you know the cool things, the interesting, the hard problems that have been solved, I don't know that we we I think we leave out the the pipeline 
guys sometimes. So it got me thinking, who built the very first pipeline? Um, you knew, you know, I was going to have to work some sort of historical perspective into this. And so uh, I have here, it's actually just a little, it's a short little video on the, uh, on the Britannica website. And, um, um, but but fortunately, there's a transcript, so I didn't have to watch the video. I could just read the transcript. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this with you. Now, uh, I almost led off, you know, I almost led off with this bit uh, at the beginning because uh, it would have been good, but it was a little bit too similar to one that I, that I did recently because there's another secret meeting taking place. Those of you who remember a couple of episodes back, I, I did, the, there was like this ominous secret meeting. And of course, it was the beginning of the, of the, uh, how many sisters are there? The seven, seven, the seven sisters. So you remember that one, right? Here's another one where the narrator says, it's early summer in Pennsylvania, 1878. I mean, this is still Old West type stuff, folks. Early summer in Pennsylvania, 1878, and a secret meeting is taking place. There must, was there a lot of secret meetings back then? Or is that just how we like to tell the stories these days? Um, a group of oil men have assembled to discuss their concerns. Uh, so this, so I'm going to sum this up for you. A group of oil guys have gotten together and they're trying to figure out how to preserve their share of the profits here during the world's first oil boom. And the guy running the show in this uh, secret meeting is, is named Byron Benson. So interestingly, I think to my point that oftentimes we don't, we don't tell the stories of, of the, of the pipeline uh, innovations and transport and things like that. Um, I never heard of Byron Benson, uh, but he, so Mr. Benson was trying to create uh, an alliance. So he was trying to pull all these other guys together uh, against an alliance against the most powerful man in the world at that time, who was John D. Rockefeller, of course, and uh, who already had so so. So Rockefeller was already at, what does it say here? Oh, he was the ruler of an empire of refineries. So he was already, like, he already owned a business front to back and side to side. And, and, uh, and these guys were trying to form an alliance to, to, to keep him from just owning the whole show. And, uh, and so what, um, so, so Benson had an idea. Benson had an idea. And his idea was to build... To build a pipeline, it says here, uh, 180 kilometers. So, I don't know. What is that in our language? Uh, convert 180 kilometers. Those of you outside the U.S. already have, okay, 100, 111 miles, 112 miles. So, he's building a 100-mile. He wants to build a 100-mile pipeline. And he wants to build the pipeline to get around Rockefeller, um, but his engineers are telling him, ah, there's no way. It's impossible. We can't do it. Can't do it. Can't build a 100 mile. Now think about it, folks. Think about it. At this point, now, if you look, if you look today, uh, if you look today and you, and you realize that in the United States, at least, and, and you know, obviously so much more in the rest of the world, but, but I do know that here in the U.S. we have something like 200,000 miles of pipeline for, for crude oil, and then there's more than that for natural gas. Um, all the, the the if you count all the gathering and everything, I think I think it's like 300,000 300, miles of um, 
pipeline for natural gas. Um, and then, you know, and I don't even know what it is to, to houses and industrial sites and things like that. But um, so, so nowadays we talk about pipeline in hundreds of thousands of miles. But at this particular point in time, which was uh, uh, Mr. Benson, Byron Benson in 1878, so this is 150 years ago, just the thought of building a 100-mile pipeline, the engineers were like, NFW, not going to happen. However, Mr. Benson was he was determined and they needed this to get around. Cause if you look at this a little bit more closely, what you realize is geographically Rockefeller had, had created certain advantages for himself and you couldn't like, he just kind of owned the, you know, and he was aligned with the railroads and everything. And, and so you couldn't really break into his territory. And, uh, let's see here. So, um, uh, so Mr. Benson said, uh, you know, he said, we're going to build a hundred mile pipeline. Uh, keep in mind that at this point in time, the only way that they had, anybody had really moved. So it's not like, well, we've built a 50 mile pipeline, but we don't think we could build a hundred mile pipeline. Cause at this point they're just moving shit around in barrels. That's it. It's the only way they're moving stuff around. A barrel of oil was a barrel of oil. And, um, so the difficulties like, like, the technical, so there was a few different difficulties. There was, um, uh, first of all, he wanted it to be six inches in diameter, which nobody had ever, nobody had ever built anything, um, anything that wide. Cause you know, imagine how much force you need to move crude oil, like the wider the pipe gets, the more, um, you know, you engineers out there, correct me on this, but I think that the more you have to push through the pipe, the more, you know, the stronger your pumps have to be. Um, and uh, and also they had to build through the Allegheny Mountains, which uh, went up and down in steep valleys. And, and also it's total wilderness, right? None of this area was developed and it's hard to get in and out. And a further complication, there were no pumps at that time capable of pumping the oil over the mountains without bursting the pipes. This is my point. If you, if you were going to... Um, now, I don't know why the... I don't know why the pump pressure... Uh, like, I don't, I don't know what the relationship is. Like, I don't know how changing the pump causes the pipes to not burst when they would have burst otherwise. But nonetheless, um, Mr. Benson, he cracked the whip on those engineers and they came up with a new type of pump. Um, and they figured out how to make a pump that would, I guess maybe it's the, maybe the, the speed in which the pump, whatever they, they solved the problem. Ingenuity folks. That's what I'm getting to here. They said they had a situation that was that that was had never been done before, and and they just shook their heads in the beginning. But uh, thanks to uh, Mr. Benson's persistence, they figured it out. The other the other problem that they had, besides the whole pump and the and the mountains and everything, is that while Byron Benson was persuading his team that that this could be done, and and while they were working hard to solve all those problems, in the meanwhile. His oil, the 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 production <laughs> in his fields that he was gonna that he was building this like I'm gonna build a pipeline from here to there, you know, from the fields to the refinery. Um, all of a sudden, his decline curves kicked in, <laughs> and and his field like started rapidly not producing as much, and um, uh, so if. if at the rate that things were going, if the decline kept at its current pace, 
at the same time as the construction, the pace of construction of the pipeline, by the time the pipeline got done, there wouldn't be anything to put in the pipeline. So he had to, uh, so he had to, you know, scramble and come up with a new plan. And, uh, and, and it just so happened that, um, nearby a new field was discovered and he was able to uh kind of change the you know with the starting point of the pipeline and so uh figured that out and and uh this new field is now ramping up so okay great we're back on track and then and then uh suddenly there was a fight with uh the railroad remember i mentioned that rockefeller was was you know aligned with the railroads and you know either owned a lot of it or influenced or whatever anyway you know how those alliances go and uh, so now there's fighting with the railroad men because um, because uh, Benson's guys they got across the railroad tracks and uh, and remember the whole thing about the railroads had uh, had you know the whole like eminent domain and the railroads had the rights for the land and um so so some distance on either side of the railroad track belonged to the railroad and of course there's no reason for the railroad for the railroad to care that these guys are going to build it they're not going to build a pipeline on top of the railroad track they're going to go underneath or they're going to go over or whatever they're going to do so there's no reason for the railroad to care whoops and that's what happens when you don't Put your phone on D&D, folks. Um, so, uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So, the way I see it, there would be no reason for the railroad to care about these guys building a pipeline, except that John D. Rockefeller told them to care. And so, now there's this fight. Well, you can't build that pipeline over here because we own this land. So, Mr. Benson, uh, not one to give up easy. He... Uh, so he went to court, which was kind of risky because, you know, uh, if the judge, if the judge ruled against him, then he's SOL folks, then he's dead in the water. So, uh, and of course you don't know, um, I mean, it's 1878 and, uh, you know, you don't really know who knows, maybe the judge plays uh, poker with Mr. Rockefeller on, on uh, Wednesday nights and maybe the judge is into him for a few grand and, you know, you just, you don't know how this is going to go, but you know that when it's over, it's going to be one way or another and that's going to be that. So, um, so he goes to court and here's his argument. The argument that he made was to the court was that the benefit of this, this pipeline that he wanted to build uh, to get the, to get the the oil from over here to over there, uh, that he he claimed that the the benefit to the general public uh, was so great, there was so much benefit for the public that this warranted an exception to whatever would be the usual rules uh, concerning the land rights. And so the courts, I guess there was a bit of a battle, but the courts finally agreed and they allowed him to uh, they 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 went right they got underneath. Um, yeah, they went right underneath the railroad under a culvert of the Pennsylvania Railroad. Uh, it was a big breakthrough, and without that, uh, it wasn't going to happen, folks. Uh, but they did it, and on May 28, 1879, that day marked the day that 2 million liters, 2 million liters, so again, I got to do the metric conversion, but anyway, I don't know, that's whatever that is, a quarter of a million, uh, 200,000 uh, gallons of crude oil flowed into the pipeline for the first time. And onlookers traveled from all over the country to witness the occasion. And Byron Benson succeeded in defeating Rockefeller and in building the world's first pipeline. So there you have it, folks. Now, of course, um, 
you know, we got, as I mentioned earlier, we got, we have hundreds of thousands and I don't know, probably around the world, we have millions of miles of pipeline today. And it goes through all sorts of terrain and uh, it finds its way up and down and around and on the, through the ocean and, and even sometimes manages to break through uh, political <laughs> uh, obstructions and, and sometimes not sometimes the, the political obstructions win but uh, which by the way uh, just in case it comes up in polite conversation uh, for you uh, keep in mind that the pipeline is still pipelines are still the safest uh, cleanest way to transport uh, any any type of any, any type of liquid or gas that you really don't want getting out into the ground or out into the air. Um, the the thing about it is, I, I will I will put in this one little uh, sort of condition or, or caveat, which is, it is true. While it is true that uh, uh, pipelines are far less likely to encounter a leak or a spill than a truck, which can overturn, you know, or a boat, which can, I guess, hit an, an iceberg. Um, you know, so, um, it, it, in fact, I think the statistics I, I read at some point is, you know, it's like, it's like 0.0001% of something, right? It's a very small fraction of, of material that ever leaks out of a pipeline. Uh, but, I mean, relative to, to everything we have, I know when when there is a leak, it leaks a lot, and that's the problem. Is um, the leaks? Uh, the one thing is that when when they when they do rupture or leak or, or there's a, whatever, it's harder. Uh, sometimes hard, sometimes can be harder to contain more as quickly uh, because a lot of times they're in remote areas and and. Um, uh, and it used to be, maybe we didn't even know right away, you know, that there was a problem, but now thanks to, uh, the ongoing ingenuity, uh, we, we have, I mean, you know, there's, there's all sorts of smart stuff being done on pipelines now. I mean, we, we've had drones flying around the pipelines for, for quite a while, I believe, uh, doing inspections and things. And cause you know, these they're not they're not in places that are easy for people to get to but you uh you fly a drone up and down the pipeline you give it all kinds of fancy uh you know x-ray vision and whatnot and uh um uh you know computer vision and various other sensors and things and um and you can do a lot to uh not only to detect when there's a problem but to predict when there's a problem when there might be a problem and uh and in fact i had on the, back when this used to be the oil and gas tech show i had a guy from what was the name of that company the, the 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 guy that named his uh, his company after he was on vacation he was he was at college and he was on vacation in Colombia and he saw a gecko climbing the wall no I'm not making this up this is true remember what is uh, Ge- uh, gecko robotics right 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 gecko robotics and he named um, and they were uh, I forget his name Jason something I don't know doesn't matter gecko robotics had some stuff where they were um, I don't know what they're doing these days. It was a couple of years ago, but where, you know, you could have a, a robot that actually crawls the walls, you know, the, the inner part of the pipeline and, and crawls through and, and is able to do things, you know, from the, or look at things from the inside. He came up with that idea. Like I said, from, he said he was on the show and he said, I was in, I was on vacation and it was somewhere in South America and he saw a gecko going up the wall and he thought, why can't I make a robot that does that? So the ingenuity uh, continues. And now, uh, you know, we're doing, what was it? The, 
there was a project announced a couple of years ago about a kind of a smart pipeline. Uh, it was called like Byte Pipe or something like that, like B-Y-T-E Pipe. And it was a it was a uh, it was like a collaboration between a couple of different companies. Uh, I don't know what ever became of that. I'll have to look that up. Or if if, if some of you know whatever happened to Byte Pipe, did that actually get get developed? I don't uh, I don't remember. But anyway, there's all sorts of remote tracking and monitoring and control systems and everything that we're putting into pipelines today to make them safer and and uh, and cleaner and and all that. But even back in the very beginning, the very first pipeline, you would think. You know, you would think that it would have been simple back then, right? You know, like, we got to flow it from here to there. We build a pipe. Like, no. No, even then, even then, there were there were big problems that had to be solved uh, by smart people. Uh, and not just smart, but persistent, right? Uh, because even at the, even the very first one, like, wow, we don't have a pump that can do that. Well, we can't go under the railroad. Well, we can't. You know, uh, so so the ingenuity... And the persistence and the creativity and the motivation prevailed, and uh, and now we got uh, and now we got pipelines which do a lot of good for us, even though we hate them for some reason. I'm not exactly sure why, but we seem to every time there's a little leak in a pipeline and something happens to a bunny rabbit. Um, all right, I'm not trying to make I'm not I, I shouldn't be cavalier. I'm sorry. I'm I'm not trying to uh, um, to diminish the degree of damage that can be done when something goes wrong. However, what we often discount is how much goodness was done relative to the badness. And and this kind of goes back to that little philosophical discussion we had a couple of episodes back. But, um, you know, when we focus on these particular incidents, uh, like much like the people who uh, decided to... Uh, dress up the prime minister's house in goth attire. I'm sure that if you talk to them, they could tell you all these very specific stories about um, about bad things that happen to animals or people or, or the planet or whatever it is. But do they ever tell the stories? Do they ever think about what would life have been like all this time if nobody had ever done any of this? What if people like Mr. Byron Benson had not found ways to do the impossible, uh, or so it appeared in some cases. And what would it be like without all the persistence and the determination and, 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 and whether, and I said this before, but whether, whether it was greed or whether, whatever the motivations were, let's leave that out for a second, because there's no way, there's no way that our life is, is anything like it is today had, uh, had the oil and gas industry not done what it has done all this time. And, you know, like I said, you can make the argument that maybe you could have done it better. Maybe there are times you could have done it cleaner. You could have been more honest. You could have been more, whatever. But the point is, Life is better, and uh, and and one big reason for that is we figured out how to move this stuff around, folks. We got we got oil because you know all the oil is not going to come out of the ground in one place, and we can't just keep popping up a new refinery everywhere. And so, thanks to Mr. Benson, we got pipelines, and once in a while, when we get lucky, they let us build them. Yeah.